So we are, uh, we're doing a short series called The Road to Jerusalem, where we are in the build-up to Easter, just uh, looking at uh, some of the encounters that on, on, on the way to Jerusalem that Jesus had. There comes a point, if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice there comes a point where he turns his face towards Jerusalem, uh, knowing that he's going there to be crucified. So uh, if you follow Jesus' ministry, there's, there's certain rhythms and patterns and moving around, preaching here, teaching there, but then there's this moment comes where he tr- aims himself towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem and, and, and sets himself on his way there um, for the final for the final part of his mission and um, and we're going to we're going to be looking going to read in just a moment a, a fascinating interaction between uh, Jesus some of his disciples and the mother of two of his disciples spot the Mother's Day link there that was it I hope you appreciated that we love all you mums and uh, no there will be more there will be more. Um, but what we're going to look at is this interaction with Jesus. And I think before we go any further, I just want to, wherever you are, whatever your background is, where, however you describe yourself, believer, uh, uh, not a believer, a believer in something else, and not sure what you are, um, whether, you're, whether you're feeling great about being a disciple, if you are one, whether you're struggling like mad, I just want to ask you to reflect for a moment on what is your interaction with Jesus like. Just have a moment to think about how would you describe Maybe top one or top two words that would describe your, inf- your interaction um, with Jesus. And feel free to shout it out if you want to as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it, Chris. Well, there are, I mean, you know, some of the, there were different words, dynamic. Dull, tense, fraught, non-existent, formal, emotional, inconsistent, happy, changeable. It's an important question because actually it determines everything. That, it sounds a bit dramatic maybe, but the, that's what the Bible teaches, that your interaction with Jesus determines everything. It's the, it's, it's the chief issue for which we are to be concerned with, above and beyond any other relationship even. Uh, above and beyond goals, career, hopes, dreams, fears. Jesus claims to be the meaning of life. Right. So it's, it, Jesus does not in any way uh, claim or ask to be an add-on. A little bit of comfort into your life or a little bit of... Guidance or a little bit of this. No, no. He claims to be the meaning of life. He claims to be the way to God. The way to God. He claims to be the true wisdom of God. And so what we do with him is more important than anything. Let's read about this interaction. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 17 to 28. I think it... Are are we good? Yeah. Brilliant. We'll just wait for it to... And as Jesus was uh, going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. (laughs) He said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You don't know what you're asking. 
At this point he obviously turns to the two sons. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, just want to say thank you for this story here, this, this record of your dealings with James and John and their mum and, and the other ten disciples. And I pray for us, you'd help us in the room that we call ourselves disciples, help us to be taught by you through this story. And I pray for those in the room that wouldn't be able to say hand on heart they are disciples. I pray, Lord, that even they would find that their heart being strangely warmed and arrested by your word, I pray. Amen. So Jesus brings this prediction. He explains to them, we're going to Jerusalem and this is what's going to happen. We're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered over by, uh, how does he describe it? By the chief priests and the scribes, so by his own people, the Jews, delivered over to the Gentiles, where uh, I'll then be mocked, flogged and crucified and raised on the third day. Jesus was very clear how his life was going to finish. How do you imagine your finale on the earth? How do you imagine it all end for you. My granddad on my mum's side was cycling home from church one Sunday, uh, wheeled his bike into the back garden, walked into the kitchen, staffed the church, my grandma cooking lunch I would imagine at this point, he sat down on the, on the chair by the kitchen table, my grandma came over and sat on his lap, they exchanged a few words and then he closed his eyes and went to be in glory. What a wonderful way to go. But obviously it's not always like that. There's uh, all kinds of ways people can go. I spent a few days this week in Belgium with my dad um, visiting various World War I sites. And what struck me walking through one cemetery where there were 12,000 graves, 8,000 of them said this. If we could just get uh, the image up, Matt. Um, here, an Australian officer of the Great War said, no name. Known unto God. Time and time again. Soldier of the Great War. Known unto God. By the time they were found or discovered or their dog tags, there was not enough left of them to identify. We were scouring a list of walls of 35,000 names looking for my dad's adoptive uncle among among the 35,000 names. Incredible. All he knows of him is that he was 16, signed up for the Great War and uh, was never seen again. Jesus has such piercing clarity on the end of his days. He knows, he knows how it's going to end. And yet interestingly for Jesus, there's no sense in which he seems to think it's going to end. He says how it's going to end, but it's not how it's going to end. His understanding of his death, there's no sense of finality about it. In fact, 
fact, it has a sense, or not even of a sense of, I guess when we think about maybe the end of our time, we can potentially think of, well, we, we, we've had our run, we've had our go. It's not like that with Jesus. Jesus is, it's like the climax. It's like, this is where, this is what I've come for. It's an extraordinary thing. We're going there now. What are we going to do, Jesus? We're going to heal the sick? We're going to carry on doing the stuff you've doing? No, we're going to go there so that I can be handed over, um, flogged, mocked, crucified, and then raised on the third day. And they don't understand it. You, you can tell, every time he says this kind of thing, they either just sort of hang back and are afraid to ask any questions, or just say the most unrelated things afterwards. It's, it's, it, it, what do you do with that? What do you do when your leader is talking like that? It's an astonishing thing. Well, here's what, then, the mother of Zebedee, so he's just said it, it seems, then the mother, this is what she, she says, well, um, I want you to do something. That's not an appropriate way to respond to what you've just heard. Oh, okay. So, it's selective hearing. She's not really heard it. You know how you hear what you want to hear? You ever been in those situations? You hear what you want to hear. Something was said, but you heard something else. Why? Because you didn't want to hear that. Right? So, we don't want to hear that stuff. But I'll tell you what I do want. I want to talk about my boys. I love this moment. We're told that she, she, she came up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Right? So she's, so Jesus, but the fact Jesus says, what do you want? It shows that she doesn't come out straight, straight away. She kneels down and she says, I want something. What a brilliant moment. Because you see, she's not silly. I guess that um, if you can get someone to say yes, before you've itemised it, you want to a good thing. Kids do this all the time. Dad, can you do this thing for me? Well, tell me what it is, then you can get a yes or a no. If you can get a yes first, then they're, they're on to a good thing. So, can you do something? Jesus is very shrewd as ever, and looks, searches right to the heart. What do you want? Well, here's what I want. You know when you're in glory? Well, I want, I want my boys to be either side of you. I want the best seats for my boys. The best seats at the feast. We love you mums. Mums have high hopes for their children. <laughs> Right, mums? Wave your flower if you're a mum in the house today. I see some flowers. Robert, you are not a mum. Stop waving that flower. It's inappropriate. Okay. Mums, do you have high hopes for your children? Right, anyway. Uh, wow, that was so lame. Is it? Do you? Yeah. I kind of assumed, like, that was... Okay. Mums have high hopes for their children. Mums want to ensure their children succeed, that they do well. And so you get this moment. And this is an awkward moment. This is similar to your mum rocking up at your workplace and say, come with me, we're going to see the MD. And I say, what? And next thing you know, you're in the MD's office, the door is open, everyone's listening. And your mum starts saying, well look, he, he or she, they're real good, working real hard. You must have spotted that they're way more talented than anyone else in the whole office. Yeah. What can we do for you? Well, I really do think that you need to put them on the fast track, and I think that by this time next year they should be a partner. Right? In a word, it's just awkward. Although if you read the narrative, it seems like James and John are up for it. So it's just an embarrassing... That Jesus gave them a nickname, James and John. We're told he called them the Sons of Thunder. Right? So they probably naturally, by temperament, had that kind of don't-really-care element about it. Obviously inherited from their mum that we see in this story here. So they breathe up to Jesus, and it's just... It's, it's, it's painful to kind of listen. But look at the grace with which Jesus responds. This is remarkable. I mean, this is inappropriate. Jesus has just predicted his... his 
his route to glory, Jesus just predicted what's going to go on, and it involves scourging, mocking, being handed over to the gen- to the Romans. For the- I mean, it's awful. And her- she says, "Well, can I just, you know?" So he's just shared his heart. He just, this is what's going to happen, guys. And then this very inappropriate thing comes of, just okay. While we're while we're on the subject of your glory, can my boys be either side? It's not good. It's really, really not good. But you know. When all said and done, we do need to acknowledge this wonderful fact that this mum, she cares deeply about her sons. That's a good thing. And actually, Jesus' response, we'll look at in just a moment, will show that this, even though it's awkward and embarrassing, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. She just carries her boys in her heart still. I, I can't help but get away from the fact that a mother has a unique relationship with her child or children in contrast to the father. It's just so true. She physically carries them as part of her own body for nine months and then spends the best part of a year after that nourishing them and growing them to strength from her own body. It is remarkable. It's absolutely, it's miraculous. It's amazing. It really is worthy of, of, you know, we don't normally spend ages preaching on such things but I tell you when you when you hear you know God's calling us to honor our mother and our father you, and you just stop for a moment and look at the the roles of both in God's plan it's a very very striking and awe-inspiring thing I don't think a mother carries her child in her for nine months I think she carries her child in her the whole time <laughs> I think she's always carrying her child in her and we do honor you mums here today it's important that you know we do so so on you for the for the for the love that you show and the sacrifices that you make and the unique way in which you pour out love to your children and for the many spiritual mothers in the room as well the way that you show the love of christ we do honor you and bless you for that but look at jesus's response he, he doesn't rebuke at this point i would be thinking you are so inappropriate <laughs> i've just shared about my death and this is all you're thinking of he doesn't do that at all. And here's why. It's because Jesus' ho- hopes for us are higher than our mother's. Jesus' hopes for us, this is, you, you'll see this, Jesus', hope, Jesus what Jesus wants for us is perfect. What Jesus desires for us is, is way beyond what we in our own earthly capacity could ever dream or hope for. We need to understand this. And so he just engages in the conversation. I just love Jesus. He engages in this conversation. He wants her and them to know what it will involve. You see, they're wanting to say, can I be at your left and your right, Jesus? They have this image in their mind, whereas truly what they're asking for, they don't realise it, but they're asking, if we could look at the next image, this is really what they're asking for in this request. You see, they've got, they've got the banquet, the wedding feast in their mind. Can, we, can I be at the right and at the left? That, that's where they're going because there's this, I guess it's a mixture really. Uh, the Bible teaches that we're fallen from what we were made for and so there is an appropriate desire for us to be lifted up and honoured and restored to the glory that we were made for. But there's also mixed into it self-importance and all the, all the dark stuff that we, 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 we battle with. Uh, and, but, but, you know, it concocts together and there's this desire, you know, we, 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 we want to do well. And there's good and there's bad mixed in. But we want to do well. But Jesus says, I want you to do well. But I want you to understand, before we get to the banquet, there's something else that's going to happen. And he, 
He helps them just to understand how it works. He doesn't say, no. He doesn't say, not on your nelly. He doesn't say, what are you thinking? He says, yes, but this is how it works. This is what it's going to look like. You see, Jesus says, I want to bring you into the same pattern as myself. And the pattern for me is cross, then glory. And if you want to be with me in the glory, it's cross, then glory. And he asked this question. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And it gets even more from the outside looking into the conversation. You think, oh, don't, don't say, please, whatever you do, don't say yes. Don't say that. Don't say, yes, we are able. It's a bit like when, G- when Peter says, I will go with you to your death. You know, and a few hours later, he's denying he ever knew him. And it's this... this this thing we can get into where our idea of ourself is much more higher. It's not rooted in reality. And here Jesus says, you're able to drink the cup. Now what's he talking about there? Well, the, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before the cross, he says, let this cup pass from me. And there's this idea in the Old, in the Old Testament of this cup of the wrath of God. And so Jesus realises he's about to drink to the dregs the cup of the wrath of God. He's about to take that on himself for the sins of the world. On one level, there's only one cup, and James and John didn't drink from it. Only one man drank from it, and drank it to its dregs, Jesus Christ. And the reason why any of us can be here, or not be here, but be anywhere, and know reconciliation with God and forgiveness, is because Jesus Christ drank the dregs of the wrath of God on our behalf. That our sins have been paid for. That's the foundation. It's not, everything else comes out of that. That's the only foundation, him and his work. And so we ask them, are you able to drink this cup? And then they say, yes, we are able. And you think, oh no. But Jesus is interesting. He says, he says you know what, you will drink my cup. But you think, well, what does he mean? What, well, Jesus, in his wisdom, he, he sees beyond their naivety. He says, you don't get it. You're all going to scatter in a, matter of, you know, in a matter of weeks or days. You're all going to scatter, which they do. But he sees beyond that to the fact that every one of the disciples, except for John, actually, was martyred. Every one of the twelve was martyred. And John himself, uh, as, as historical tradition teaches it, went through awful torture and then exile before he died of natural causes. And so when Jesus says, yes, you will, what is he saying? He's saying, actually, yeah, you will know what it is to suffer for my sake. Yeah, you will. It won't be the same cup that I drink. It, it won't be the wrath of God. But you will taste sufferings because you're associated with me but then he says this and this is a this is a wonderful thing he says but to sit at my right hand and my left it's not mine to grant it's for those for whom it's been prepared by my father i was talking to with daisy my daughter about the sermon on the way here because she's out with the youth and you know she wants to what are you preaching on dad so she's the pre- tell me tell me so i started preaching it to her on the street and she loves it i love it it works well and um I said about this. She said, well, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? How, does, how does this work? You know, I said, well, I said, when we went to my brother Dave's wedding in December, how did you know where to sit? She said, oh, I don't know. I said, how do you know? She said, oh, our names were there. I said, yeah. Your name was there. You knew where to sit. Because if you're organising a wedding, you sort that out, don't you? You sort out a table plan. These people are going to sit here. These people here. And uh, in, in the same way, the father is sorting out the wedding banquet. It's the climax of history when his son will be joined together with his bride, the church. 
and there will be places of honour and this, that, and the other. All these things which are, it's mysterious, but it's there. And Jesus says, you know what? You haven't got a stress and strain about where you'll be. The Father's got it in hand. The Father is sorting it out. You haven't got to worry about how much honour will I get, or especially compared to so-and-so, will I do it? No, no, the Father is preparing all of that. He knows who's going to be on the right and who's going to be on the left. He knows who's going to be next. He knows who's going to be there. He knows who's going to be there. And uh, do you know what? The, fa- the Father's decisions are always spot on. This is a massive important lesson to learn in life. I've had to learn this. There have been times in my life where someone has been given an opportunity or asked to play a certain role and I've, thought, uh, I've felt in my heart that panic, that fear, that I thought that maybe I would be asked to do that. Those moments, ah, and, and, and what I've had to learn over the years is that when I feel that in those moments, I've learnt, I've disciplined myself to do this. I, 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 as soon as I feel that, I stop and I start thanking the Father for his wisdom. I just thank you, Father, you know best. Because, you know, the flesh is going, rah, <laughs> Pride, fear, anxiety, all all the stuff, you know, that we all live with daily. But I know my spirit is saying, rest. This is a very helpful psalm for moments like that. I love this psalm, Psalm 131. If we could just, I love this. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Nor my eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me. That's a great, I love that. When these things come, I just say, well, it probably was too great and too marvellous for me anyway. It wouldn't have worked. Maybe later. Whatever. God knows. I've calmed and I've quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now what does it mean like a weaned child? Before a child is weaned, it fusses and frets because it's not got used to the fact that meals come at certain times. So it fusses and frets. It's like it's pang of hunger. You know about it. Once it's weaned, it understands. There's meal times that happen. It's, it, there's a there's a rest that comes. Spiritually speaking, we can do that. Why? The Father's got it sorted. He's got it sorted. He knows. Right? He, he's got my best intentions at heart. He's got a plan. He knows where I'm going to be sitting. It's okay. It's okay. It's just so important that we that we understand this. And then we see the disciples' response. This is so human. While the ten heard this, they heard this, they heard this awful conversation. And the ten were indignant. This word indignant, it means they were greatly afflicted. Or they were sorely displeased. Probably why? In part, because they're thinking, I want that seat. And if they ask, they might get it. Partly because they think, that James and John is so typical. No, it's so typical. It had to be them. They were always, always like that. And their mum, even got their mum involved. Can you imagine? It's so. It's just right. This is Jesus and his disciples, right? Don't ever get into the thing of, oh, you know, I've got, I can't do this. I can't deal with this church. I'm going to find a church that's more holy. Well, all the best, <laughs> right? Church is like this, right? It's people working out how to follow Jesus well, and we make mistakes. Okay, that's what it is, uh, and you'll make as much as anyone else. So you know. That's classic saying, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. Why? You'll ruin it. Um, So we're nice and kind here. Um, That's how we roll. So the disciples' response. So, see, they're looking on as these other two that are part of the twelve are putting themselves forward. 
They're putting themselves forward and it's... Because when people put themselves forward, when people fuss and fight for position, it creates mayhem in community. When people do this, it breaks things up. It breaks things up in friendships, it breaks things up in marriages, it breaks things up in churches. When people insist on pushing themselves forward, it creates creates disquiet, it creates confusion, it creates bitterness. Self-importance is a disease that kills relationships. There's desire to be above others. If you live like that, it's going to cause problems. If you have that thing about you where you feel, you need to be closer to the centre. You need to, otherwise you feel insecure if you're not quite in there or you're not quite perceived to be in the centre of things there. And you, you want, don't give way to that, that's fear. That's not spiritual, that's just the flesh, that's, no. You're in. You're in the family of God. You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. You can't get any higher. I mean, it's a ridiculous idea. Someone seated with Christ in heavenly places, fussing and fighting about the fact that, I don't know, who, who knows what, they weren't asked to play the guitar. Or, I don't know, do you know what I mean? It's crazy. You're seated with Christ. You're seated with Jesus. So we can be, can be, we can be peaceful about that. And I just love, we're going to end with this. Jesus' leadership lesson. He gathers them together. Jesus addresses things when he sees it. You can see tension. He's like, we've got to talk about this. And he just gives a leadership lesson here. He observes how leadership works in the world. The Gentiles, he'd most likely be referring to the, the Roman Empire and the way it worked there. Lording over. Leaders lord it over. Leaders dominate. Listen, church, not so with us. Whatever leadership you have. We'll talk about leadership in a minute when we just apply it at the end. But not so with us. It's going to look different. Interesting, Jesus says, do you want to be great? He doesn't say wicked person. He doesn't say that. It's not the we want him to be great. Okay? We're made for greatness. Nothing wrong with that. But he says, you want to be great, you've got to understand what greatness is. And greatness is laying down your life. Greatness is serving. Greatness is being willing to roll your sleeves up and get involved and help. That's what greatness, that's what he says. Not so with you. He says that. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Where we get our word deacon. Whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Doulos, your slave. So the greatest leaders in the kingdom should look like servants and slaves, not pushing themselves forward, not lording it over. That's whenever that happens, something's gone really, really wrong. We have to serve to the point of looking like a slave. Lower, lower, lower. Why? Because we know we're seated with Christ. We've nothing to prove. <laughs> He's secure. I know who I am. We'll end with this scripture, then we'll just look at how to apply it. So, let each of you, Dan looked at this the other week, it's, it's totally the appropriate scripture again though. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Lower, lower, lower. Being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Lower. Even death on a cross. Worst death of all. Lower. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Because God loves to exalt the humble. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
The one who has been the lowest will now forever be the highest. None of us will ever go to the depths he went to. He went to the depths. Unlike anything we can imagine. And so God has exalted him and given him the highest name. And it's totally appropriate. And we say, hallelujah, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then Jesus says, now, listen, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Pattern your leadership on that. Jesus says, pattern your leadership on gospel. So, three points of application. Number one, in marriage. Husbands. Husbands. You are called to set the pace in terms of sacrifice and servanthood. Hear me. You men who are husbands, you men who would like to be married one day, you are called to set the pace in terms of sacrifice and servanthood. It's headship, but it's on its head as we understand it. It's not what you think. It's, it's upside down in a worldly sense. It's laying down your life. It's what it is. It's what it looks like. That's your responsibility before God. It means modelling yourself on Jesus and giving yourself again and again for your bride as he gave himself for his, the church. That is your motivation. That is your calling. And it will lead to resurrection and glory in your marriage. Glad two of you agree. (laughs) Leadership in the church. Many of us, men and women, old and young, have some kind of leadership in the church. Having this servant attitude doesn't mean that we do everything. You want to build good teams and all of that. It doesn't mean you have to do everything to show that, you know, that kind of martyr spirit. Yes, it's me again, scrubbing the floor. Yes. Yes, I was on last week, well noticed. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't, right, it's not that, okay? But what it means is that your attitude in which you lead is that you don't, act, you don't just give the, the nasty jobs to everyone else. Yeah, you don't just kind of act as if certain things are above you, but you, you lead through example and through serving. And so that you give those who are in your team around you a great example to follow. That's how we, that's how we, it doesn't mean you do everything, it means you find those who are gifted in ways that you're not and bring them in. That's part of humility. So that because they've been graced for different things, they can function and help you. Part of humility is saying, I can't do everything. But it's that gospel spirit. Marks the leadership in a church where things stay healthy. It's really, really important. There's a Christ-like aroma that comes out in that. And leadership in the workplace. Now this is an interesting one because the church is the community of the kingdom. So we're looking to pattern the whole of the church life on the kingdom of God and that kingdom culture and all of that. Um, It's built on the gospel whereas most of our workplaces aren't. Most of our workplaces right now are built on more of a secular foundation or a a, a mixture of things. And so um, Jesus here is talking about those who will lead in the church. But he absolutely absolutely has things to say to those who are leading the workplace. There are people in the Bible like Esther and Daniel who got raised up, positions of responsibility, but it was in situations that didn't represent the church, but more was like the outside world. What does he say to you? Is this the same thing? You know to expect it's the church. You know to expect that you can build, every, build everything and make everything organised on, on a gospel foundation because that's, that, that's just not acknowledging where things are at in reality right now. But what it is, it's this. It's that you recognise that the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast in a loaf. But the yeast, as it gets in, works through the whole thing. And so that through modelling Christ-like attitude and Christ-like humility in the workplace, that that will have a yeast-like effect in, in, the, in the place that you're working. 
And whatever that looks like, whether that means that practices and systems change, or whether just numbers of people actually become genuinely interested in, in knowing what power you live by and want to know more of Jesus, something of the kingdom comes there. The aroma is the same, so we look to do the same thing, even though it's a different situation from the church. We do believe over time that the kingdom will affect the whole thing. Amen? Okay, so to conclude, Jesus draws us into his cross-glory pattern. It's cross, then glory. Okay? Cross first, then glory. Say, cross first, then glory. Right, you've got to know that, okay? Yeah, it's really important. God will raise us up. God will do the glorifying. You haven't got to worry about that, okay? We have to embrace the cross. That's, that's, we embrace it. God honours it. And then we trust that the Father has our cause and our place at the table in his hands. And we go, that's cool. I rest in that. I'm going to rest in that. And through all these things, we believe the kingdom of God advances. Amen? Amen. Amen. Great. Okay, well, we're going to respond now. The last part of our service between now and five o'clock, typically what we do is that we'll just uh, gather to the the tables here for the bread and for the wine. And we just say, look, if you're a believer here, please, as these songs are going on, please come and help yourself to bread and wine. We tend to do that in community, which means people just kind of find each other, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're here by yourself, you've got no one um, to go with, you may just be happier going by yourself, that's fine. But I would say to those of us at Rev at the church here, keep your eyes out for people that maybe just you know just invite them um if they say no it's cool at least they've known that they've been welcome if you're invited and you don't want to go just smile and say no don't say it horribly okay um we're a sensitive bunch and um and then it just means that yeah because we just want to include people where we can but if you're here and you you know you just know you're not in a place for taking the bread and wine right now i would just say get in that place <laughs> get in that place because there's nothing like walking with jesus with all of the highs and the lows and all of the moments of great breakthrough and the other moments where you're scratching your head, there's nothing like walking with Jesus. And we want to invite you into that because the Bible says that God calls everyone to turn and, and follow Christ. It's a call. It's a call from heaven. And no, none of, we would never ever try and coerce anyone, but we want to be faithful to the fact that God is calling people to repent and turn to Jesus. And so please do that. And that's something you do before him. You, the Bible says you cry out in the name of Jesus, he'll save you. He'll save you. And you'll know it. You think, something's changed here. What's going on? Jesus has come into your heart. He heard your prayer. He listened. He's changed your heart. Come and take bread and wine. Get baptised. And let's follow him together. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand to our feet.